I've always wanted to be uh, a weatherman. You know, the guys who stand in front of the green screen and they can't really see it, so they got that that uh, screen on the side and they look and they go, this is going to be an upper level disturbance. It's going to hit that gulf moisture and it's going to get a little dicey around here. But I always wanted to do that. And then I realized how off weathermen are. And I thought, I don't want to be paid to be wrong. Sorry if you're a weatherman. Welcome to church. <laughs> But one thing meteorologists do well is they uh, do sea storms, they do observe storms, and on any given day, did you realize around the world there's over 1,800 storms? Think about that. 1,800 storms happening around the world each day. Now, it's not all bad, right? Storms bring much-needed water to land, animals, to us. Storms also bring awe and wonder at the power of God's creation. Storms also can bring destruction, however. So you're watching television, and all of a sudden the sound goes, uh, you know, kind of quiet, and all of a sudden you see this flash up on your screen, storm warning. And then it goes, ah, ah, and there was something like that to get your attention. And then no matter how much you spent on an audio system for your theater room, it all sounds, that voice sounds just like a clock radio, right? There's a warning, and it's, it's, it's a different level. And your heart rate goes up and you check where your kids and you batten down the hatches. And in, in extreme cases, you run to safety, right? Storm, storms have a way of humbling us. They cancel our plans. They curve our actions. Now, amidst a storm in God's word, God provides safety. We call God's safety in the word of God salvation. Over the next four weekends, we're going to be storm chasers. In the word of God. Actually, I'd like us to be more of God chasers in the storm rather than seeking storms themselves. Because I believe God uses storms for a purpose. The first storm we're going to observe is the storm that washed away the world. It's found in Genesis chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, open up there with me in Genesis chapter 6. God used a man in a storm named Noah... And Noah was called to preach a message and to prepare a place for safety and salvation before the storm hit. Now, I'm a preacher, and I absolutely love to preach. Uh, And it's not necessarily I like a a room full of people that I've got to have a room full of people. I'll do it with one person. I'll preach with one person because I love the moment in time. I call it the transformational moment where what I'm preaching takes root in the heart of someone and they get it. Like one of the big things that I always preach is Jesus. And I love it when someone realizes that it's not up to them to save themselves. It's only through the person in the work of Jesus. They don't have to be good. They don't have to keep trying. They can start trusting in someone who's done something for them that they couldn't do for themselves. He lived. He died. He rose again for them. And I love it when people catch that. That's what I live for. I wake up and I thank God I can, I can preach. Noah was a preacher. Do you realize that? And he preached a five-point message through this whole experience that over the course of these four chapters in Genesis, I had an opportunity to kind of construct my message from the message he preached. And here's his major point. You ready for it? It's in your notes. Get in the boat. <laughs> Let's pray. No, we won't stop here. But his whole call was to get in the boat. And he gave five reasons why everyone should get in the boat. The first one is this. 
there's a storm that's coming. In chapter 6, verses 11, verse 11 through 13, it says this. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. There's a verb, there's a word that kind of is repeated in that, and that's, it's corrupt, right? And when something's corrupt, it's, it's taken away from its intended, intended purpose, and it actually goes the opposite way. So if you have a disk and it contains a lot of data and it gets corrupted, you can't use it anymore, right? And so when God's eyes, and by the way, God's eyes see everything, he looked at this world, he saw a progression of evil, of people drifting and falling away from him. Now think about this. This is just six chapters into the Bible. Wonder what the rest of the Bible is going to be like, right? Because he, it wasn't too long ago that God created man and woman. He placed him in a garden without sin, in a perfect relationship with each other, and a perfect relationship with God. And then they fell. In just three chapters, they fell. And now it just gets progressively worse to a severe state of brokenness, failure, and wickedness. Humanity was so bad that the narrative of Genesis says this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Evil, wickedness. What do we know about God in in the realm of evil and wickedness? Well, one thing we never need to forget is this. God is good. You ever grow up in a church where someone said, God is good, and everyone said... All the time, y'all, right? Welcome, church people. Yeah, and then he would go all the time, and you would say, Okay, God is good. Good job. And this good God was grieved. He was grieved by sin. Sin grieves the heart of God. He grieves over sin because sin darkens and it destroys us and the creation he's made. I want you to be thankful this morning that God grieves over sin. I want you to be thankful that God grieves over things like murder, abuse, terror, lying, cheating, stealing, selfishness, pride, sexual immorality, hatred, anger, and gossip. Everything that is bad in this world grieves the heart of God. The good news is that this God will judge evil He will judge the badness in this world. And that should be a comfort to us when we're abused or we're hurt by someone and we'll never get justice. The church has always looked to the justice of God and he will judge. A good God sees it and he will judge. Now, our tendency, if I'm going to be honest here, is that Our tendency is that when someone hurts us, I want justice, right? But when we hurt someone else, mm, I want grace, right? It's kind of like you're going down the road and this guy just screams. And it's always a guy, right? Because women never speed. The guy just screams by you and you go, man, what is he thinking? Boy, I hope there's a cop. And sure enough, there's a cop ahead and he shoots radar and the, the car just screams by you. And then it stops and you drive by and go, ha! Ah, sweet justice, 
you know. But then, you're late for work. And school starts up. And you're used to going 40, and there's like 10 miles per hour. Because it's the school zone. And you're going 40 in a 10 mile. And that same radar that hit against that car that screened by you on the highway hits you. And you see those lights. Or you see that guy go move over. And your heart sinks. And you go, doggone it. Or something like that. (laughs) And they pull you over. And you demand, you think, oh, you, you don't know my reasons. I'm late for work. This is the third time this week, but I'm late. And I'm going to lose my job. And my kids aren't going to be able to be fed. And you make all the excuses and you plead for, that's that brokenness in us that is just fine with the justice of God when someone hurts us, but isn't fine when the justice of God points at us. And yet, a good God is no respecter of persons. We all need to be saved. Folks, the storm was coming. The storm was coming. And God said to Noah in verse 13, I have determined to make an end to all of flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So amidst this escalation of wickedness in the world, God made a plan to judge sin in this passage, literally to blot it out. His plan included a storm. Such a great storm the earth had never before experienced and has never experienced since. He would send a flood. And Noah preached, get in the boat, the storm is coming. That's not all he preached. He preached that only God's boat would save you. Take a look at chapter 6, verse 14. God said, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And then verse 17 For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth will, on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And a covenant is a promise from God. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And he said that because male and female, we were created in the image of God. The plan to literally wash away the earth would also be a plan of safety, of salvation, to float Noah and his family in this big boat called an ark. This ark had specific instructions. God said, make it, in our terms, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. And, and take you and your family and de- do this just as I told you. And here's what we hear. Here's what we hear. That, that if he did this, he would be saved from the flood. It took him a hundred years to construct this ark. It was lonely work. Perhaps just he and his family. But he built it. Chapter 6 verse 22 says he did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him to do. I love that. That's Noah. Can you imagine the pushback in his day? A flood. The earth's never been flooded. We barely get rain. And you're building this thing? Look at all the wood that takes. And by the way. 
This goes against our neighborhood organizational, you know, it, it won't, it's a disgrace to our neighborhood. It's an eyesore. What are you doing? Flood. Hey, kids, I, I don't, we don't need help. Thank you very much. We'll save ourselves. We'll climb that higher mountain if it ever rains that bad. And so the narrative enfolds. Noah enters this ark with his family, two of every kind of animal, and God, verse 16, shuts him in. Rain begins to fall for 40 days, 40 nights. The flood prevail on the earth for 150 days, over 22 feet higher than the highest mountain. Noah preached, get in the boat. The storm is coming. Only God's boat will save you. And here's something else we learned from his message. That those in God's boat are never forgotten. They're never forgotten. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. It says, but God remembered Noah. I want you to think about that phrase. What does it mean for God to remember Noah? He remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him. You see, in the midst of this plan stood a man. His name was Noah. Way back in chapter 6, verse 8, it says of Noah, in the midst of the eyes of God, looking and not finding any righteous people, he, it focuses right on him and it says, but, which means Noah's life stood in contrast to everything in his culture, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah lived by faith, not by sight. And his provision uh, uh, that God gave him, he trusted in the word of God for his life. Remember, God is good all the time, right? And God always provides a way to salvation from his judgment. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the writer of Hebrews says this, By faith Noah, being warned of God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of, right, of the righteousness that comes by faith. Folks, Old Testament or New Testament, faith has always been taking God at his word and acting upon it. And that's what Noah did. Noah built this ark. He built the ark. Noah, get in the boat. He went in the boat. He believed God and God saved him. Get in the boat. A storm is coming. Only God's boat will save you. God never forgets those who are in his boat. So the rain stops. The flood recedes. Noah sends out a raven. Then he sends out a dove, which comes back with nothing. Waits seven days, sends out the dove. It comes back with an olive leaf. And then he set her free again, and it never came back. The ark rests upon Mount Ararat. The earth was dry. God commanded him, go out from the ark. Noah does two actions that I think are worth us talking about here. And they preach a message. The first one is this. The same boat that saves you sets you free. Look at chapter 8, verse 15. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. By the way, I, I wish the creeping things would have stayed on the ark. But they too came out of the ark. That they may swarm, what a choice of words, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful 
and multiply. This is a picture that of that same boat that saved them now is a boat that God said, get off this ark. Get off this ark. You're now free. Go and begin life anew. I love that, that they may swarm on the earth. That was the picture of God. That after this, it would just, this world would now teem with life. It's almost like release the kraken was said. And all of life came out of this ark. They poured out life and they multiplied. That boat that saved them now set them free to live a new life in a new world with new opportunities. Look at the second thing Noah was freed to do, though. He was freed to worship. Chapter 8, verse 20 says this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Think about this. Two things Noah built in this whole thing. He built an ark, which would be salvation. He built an altar, which would be worship. And he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. He was saved. He was saved and set free to worship. Worship is the setting free of your life and responding, responding, offering your life to, to God, the God who saved you for who he is and for what he's done. His final point in his message is shown in chapter 9, verse 1. And here it is. The same boat that saved him sent him. Because now God says to him, after the flood, after the ark, God gives him a divine command. And it's in chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Sent from the ark, Noah was now called to be fruitful and multiply. Where have we heard that before? Well, we've heard it at creation. When God said to Adam and Eve, Go, be fruitful, multiply. And now, at a new creation, a time of new creation after the flood, God called Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. Live and let live. And God sent him with a promise. Never again will I destroy this world with a flood. And he put a rainbow in the sky to remind Noah and us that God, to this day, would never destroy the world with a flood. What is a rainbow? It's the intersection of a storm and the sun, of clouds and clear skies. But it's a reminder to us that God is gracious and God is good, even in the midst of the wickedness of this world. I want to talk to you about the exclamation point of this story. And I think it's important that before we move on that we truly understand this. Because as scholars have analyzed this story and how it was written, it was written to be told, not just to be known. And so as this story goes, there was always a pair in this story that when you told it as a parent to your child, you you would remember the beginning before the, the flood point. And the after the flood point that, that would be matched. And it points to the main point of this, of this message. So God would destroy the world, right? But the Lord then promised at the end of it, never again to destroy humankind with a flood. So Noah builds an ark before the flood. After the flood, he builds an altar. 
God commands Noah to get in the ark. That would be his salvation. After the flood, God commanded Noah, get out of the of the ark. The flood began after he got in the ark. The earth dries up after the flood. The flood prevailed for 150 days. It took 150 days for the flood to recede. And then there is one point. There's one point that has no counterpoint, but it's the main point of this whole story. Flip back to chapter 8, verse 1. It's this. But God remembered Noah. Never forget that. When you step into God's salvation, you are never forgotten. You're his. You're in his family. You're his child. You're never forgotten. When the storm hits, God will remember. He will remember his promise to you. He will never fail you. He will never forget about you. In the storm, remember, God never forgets those who trust in him. So we could end the story right now, right? And we would finish early. But you know me. <laughs> the story's not over, though. It's not over because we have the rest of the story of God's unfolding revelation through his word. And the story of Noah points us to someone else who gives salvation. And I want to just go through these points again because I think this is our point. This is our message. As it was preached to Noah, God was whispering, I am going I am going to save you, Israel. I am going to save you, Gentile world. I'm going to save you because I'm good. And I'm good all the time. Folks, point one. The storm is coming. It won't be with flood. It will be with fire. And the same Jesus who came as a meek and lowly servant... Almost 2,000 years, and he lived perfectly for us, and he died on a cross for our sins, and he rose again on the third day. He has come to save us from a future storm. Jesus even mentioned it in his teaching in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. He says, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating, and they were drinking, and they were marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they were partying. They could care less about the storm that was coming until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Folks, Jesus is returning. And he will come back as a judge. And we're all accountable to him. Get in the boat. He's provided a boat. A boat that would take you and save you from the righteousness, uh, righteous judgment of God. Get in the boat. Only God's boat will save you. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter preached it after Jesus resurrected from the dead. He said, there is, no sal- there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I know as some of you who may not have come to Christ yet, it's easy for you to look at that and go, Christian, Christianity is so exclusive. I don't like the exclusivity. I don't think, I think Christians think they, their way is the right way and all their ways are the wrong way and they can preach that and we can preach that with self righteousness and with arrogance but here's the truth the storm is coming and god has provided the only boat that saves 
His name is Jesus. And we can all say, oh, when the storm comes, I'll rest on my, I'll rest on my good works. I've been a good person. I'm not bad as that person. And there's always going to be that person in your life. So you'll always look better than them. And as long as you're better than them, God owes you, right? Well, the folks, the, the issue is, is we can be better than some people, but we can't be perfect. God's requirement is perfect. And only Jesus was perfect. And that's why Jesus had to come. He had to live a perfect life, the one we couldn't live. He lived for us. That's why Jesus had to die, because the worst thing said about us was said to Jesus, and he took the wrath of God. He took the storm of God on the cross and paid the price for my sin and yours. And he rose again from the dead. He defeated the power of sin and death and secures eternal life to all who believe. It's the only boat that can save you. We all, if you know Jesus, if you found Jesus, you've had that moment where you've looked at the world around you and you've looked at the heart within you and you've said, I need to get on that boat. We've all had the get on the boat moment if you've trusted in Christ. I had it when I was four years old. I'm glad I've been on the boat for this long. But you know what? The boat isn't, I'm not on the boat because of anything I've deserved. I've been on the boat because I took God at his word and I ran to the boat. And you can too. Run to that boat. Turn from your way. Turn from your own little self-constructed life raft of performance. And trust in the person who lived perfectly for you, who died completely for you, and rose again from the dead for you. Trust in him. Only he can save. Because those in God's boat are never forgotten. They're never forgotten. Point three. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. I love that because whom God saves, he keeps. He keeps. No one can snatch you out of the hand of the Lord of the storm who calls creation into existence. And keeps his kids safe. That's that's who you are in Christ. You're never forgotten by God. And that's why you have the promise that with Christ, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, God always promises, I am with you. Just trace it through the New Testament. When God called people to do something, when he, he called them off that boat uh, of salvation, he's, he's going to call them to be with him. He would never leave. I will be with you into the end of the age until that day of judgment. I'll be with you and I'll never forget about you. Because the same boat that saves you then sets you free. You know, a lot of people view God's salvation as a one-time event that you now have the visa card of grace that you'll just keep charging sins and live however you want to because you've got hell insurance. But I'll tell you, the gospel is far more glorious than just hell insurance. The gospel sets us free. Because it's the work of God in us to set us free from sin. And you know what? There's a lot of trappings in my life. And I'm not up here because I deserve to be up here. I'm up here primarily because God has saved me. And he's given me a heart to call people. And the reality here for all of us 
is we all need to be set free from sin in our lives. There's issues that some of us are dealing with. There's patterns. There's addictions. There's tendencies. There's failures and there's weakness that we need to still come to Jesus and say, Jesus, fix me. That's the whole pattern of the Christian life. Jesus, I'm broken. Fix me. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. When we keep going our own way, when we keep ignoring who Christ is, that's a yoke of slavery to sin. But Christ has set us free. To the church in Galatia, Paul said, don't go back to the law. The law just is a yoke of slavery. And that's what sin is. So many times we just think sin is doing things and it's free. But we don't realize, man, we don't realize how addictive and enslaving sin can be in our lives. How it hurts the people around us. How it destroys the relationships around us. The same boat that saves you sets you free. Seek the freedom of Jesus. Then finally, the same boat that saves you sends you. Noah got off his ark and he was sent to be fruitful and multiply. Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus was all about sending people out of a place into the world. Not only were they recreated as new creations of God, they're called to call others to, re- to, uh, to get in the boat. I love Acts chapter one, verse eight. He said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is kind of that New Testament call. Be fruitful and multiply, church. Go out there to the ends of the earth. Fill it with the gospel. Shine the light of Jesus all around this place. Folks, a storm is coming. Only God's boat will save you. Those in God's boat are never forgotten. It's a boat that saves you and sets you free. It's a boat that saves you and sends you. Final question. Are you in the boat? Are you in the boat? A lot of you come and we we thank God for every person God entrusts to us every weekend. And it is a joy to be in this church. But I'll tell you, I know a lot of people come each weekend and they're trusting in their own way. They're trusting in the 50-50. If I do my part, God will do his part and we'll meet halfway and everything will be great. Folks, that doesn't work. That cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. You have to turn from your works to his righteousness. You have to turn from your way to the one way, the truth and the life. It's Jesus. Get in the boat. How do you get in the boat? You step out of yours and you trust him to save you. Only Jesus saves. So just cry out to him right now. God, I get it. Jesus, thank you for living perfectly for me. I can't live perfect. You, you have. I trust you're perfect. Secondly, I trust that what you did on the cross was for me. I believe that. I trust you on that. And I believe you rose from the dead. You rose from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death. I have eternal life because you rose from the dead. I believe that. If you believe that, you're in the boat. Welcome. This same boat sets you free. This same boat named Jesus sends you out. Be a witness.
This is a message. And now it's a message we send you out of this place to help others get in the boat, right? It's a message Old Testament and New Testament because God is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you do not tolerate wickedness, but you provide a solution to judge it and to save us. We thank you for Jesus, the one who lived and died and rose again for us. We thank you for each person here. You know what we're going through. You know what we're dealing with. You know what our minds are processing right now. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have freedom to, to, to work and to move in each of our lives to get in the boat, to be set free from the boat, and then to be sent into this world because of the person and the work of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.